Good morning. All right, so let's go back to 1983, Christmas time. I was, I don't know, I was two, maybe it was 84, I can't remember. All I know is I was the only child at the time. It was a glorious Christmas. <laughs> and I come out, and what I see, it's not even wrapped. It's, it's uh, just sitting there. But it's this beautiful jet black Knight Rider pedal car. One that you can get into, right? Big fan of Knight Rider, big fan of that show. Uh, and I just remember just losing my mind and getting into that car. It even had a little button to when you, you flip it, the little light in the front goes, <laughs> right? You know what I'm talking about? And, I, you know, I remember the house we were in at the time, it was really small. So I was eager to go outside. And, uh, of course, I had all these other presents, but it was just, it was so cool. It was before the, the you know, I had to pedal it, <laughs> but I still get to steer it, so it wasn't like the cool ones they have now. Uh, but to me, it was amazing. Right. <laughs> uh, but that wasn't all. I remember losing my mind about it, and my parents said, hey, there's still one more thing. Look in the trunk. It's like, it opens? He goes, yeah. I open it, and in there was a plastic tool set. She goes, it's just like Dad's. This is so cool. She goes, I go to the front. I can open up the lid, and there's like a molded impression of an engine. I'm like, oh, I can just sit there and pretend like I'm working on kit. This is the greatest, greatest present ever. It was so cool. And I, I wish I still had it, because I, I, this week I looked it up, see on eBay, like how much they're worth. Uh, pretty depressing. But, uh, okay, so let's fast forward to 1986. I know it's 1986 because I'm in my new house, and my sister is on the way. And so my parents went to a Lamaze class. So grandma had to watch me. And it was only for a couple of hours, maybe an hour and a half, and they said, yeah, you know, Michael, he has friends in the neighborhood. You can play with them. Or he can go play with them while you can just, you know, watch them from afar. So I go do that and play with my friends. Now, I don't know how it was with you. Me growing up, the garage was a magical place. It was this, like, element of danger, things you knew you couldn't touch or play with, <laughs> but you wanted to be in it. Right? And it's funny because my kids are the same way. And I'm like, what? And they're like, looking all around. But it's so cool. Dad's away. I tell my friends, like, hey, let's go play in the garage. So while we're being imaginative and figuring out what we're going to do with our time, uh, we decide, like, hey, that old Knight Rider car, you know, I bet we can make it, like, real and make it really, like, move without having to pedal it. All right, well, we got the tools. We got all these things. I see my dad do this all the time. So like, all right, well, let's get some wires. Let's tape wires to the car. I'm five, okay? I forgot to say that. I'm five. I, I do not know what an internal combustion engine is. Just an imagination. So we're, we're, we're messing around with it. And uh, in my garage, my dad had a bunch of motorcycles. And one in particular was a small one that was for me when I got old enough, but it was busted down. And so we were taking parts off that, and we're like, 
why isn't this working? Oh, it's because it needs gas. So we're like, well, let's take the gas tank off and put it on the back. All right. And we did a wire to connect it to the, the, the little light. Still not working. We're horrible at this. We're like, well, my, me and my friend are like, well, you know, we see, our, we see our dads and our moms put gas in the car. Like, maybe we have to, like, actually put gas in the car. Well, there's no holes. Well, here, let's open up the hood and start pouring the gas. Right? We're little kids, so it was, like, both of us. We, um, what transpired was, like, the, the Zoolander gasoline fight. And we just started going all over the place. Just putting gas everywhere. The garage is closed. Like, because, right, we're in the garage, putting gas all over the place. And all of a sudden, we're like, wow, this is fun. I don't feel so good. <laughs> My friend's like, I don't either. So we we kind of go outside, and it was the sight of two young boys running out of the garage, starting to throw up. That My grandma's like, wait, what's going on? She walks out. She goes, what does that smell? She goes in, she freaks out like anyone should. Opens that garage immediately. I remember her getting the hose, and I remember her getting on the phone uh, at the same time with um, my uncle or my dad's uncle. She said, what do I do? And then she gets the hose, and she just starts spraying everything in the garage, just spraying, spraying. I'm just kind of sitting there watching that all go down. Now, can you imagine, as parents, you're like, we're going to just, hey, Grandma, can you watch the kid? We're going to be gone for like an hour and a half tops. <laughs> With the potential of coming home to the whole house gone. Right? Um, yeah. So it's, it's just, I, I thought I knew what I was doing. I thought I, I watched my dad enough. How he puts gas in the car. Apparently, it wasn't. So I, I remember... I remember, uh, like, my dad coming home and talking to me about this. It didn't go well, um, because it shouldn't, right? You really got to put the fear into your kid, don't ever play with gasoline again. <laughs> like, don't do it. Um, but the actions that followed then was, okay, now I need to teach my son. Now I need to show him about tools, to respect tools, to know that, yeah, tools can hurt if not done right. Let me teach you things. And then, you know, with that then comes, comes the knowledge of that. But it wasn't, it wasn't just that. Then it was because, okay, now my dad is really into football. Now I'm into football. Oh, and my dad was, is really into motorcycles, and now I'm really into motorcycles. It was this thing that where now everything my dad was a part of, I wanted to imitate what he was doing. Anything that he thought was cool or neat, I had an interest in because he took the time just to teach me basic things. And, and so if you look at your cover, and I wonder, <laughs> this little art piece here. So I look, I look back like that, that was... Um, how it was with, with me and my dad. So now I have a son, and what is he picking up from me? Well, this is an art piece that he drew for me, and he's really into superheroes because 
I'm really into superheroes. And it's just something from birth that's just kind of been in our house and, and things that we, we talk about. And, and, and he's really into it. So on one day, he got this paper. And this is only a very small part of this picture, okay? There are, he got uh, 18 and a half, or eight and a, eight and a half, a, a normal paper, <laughs> and, uh, and like taped them together. So there's a scene with these guys, there's a scene with the X-Men, there's a scene with Star Wars, there's a scene with Godzilla monsters. Everything that I like, he was into, and he just, he loves this stuff. This is like, and I'm like, oh, well, I got a, that'd be a cool cover. And so this is actually in my office. I have to figure out how I'm going to, you know, put it up. But, but, like, I love this. I love that he's, you know, and, of course, this isn't, like, forced on him. You know, like, hey, you have to know these things. But, but because of the time that I've spent with my son, he's naturally, you know, fallen in love with these characters and with these things. And, I mean, he loves watching the old Godzilla movies with me. Right? Like, he just... I don't know, I, I thought I was the only one. And he'll sit there and I'm like, do you understand what's happening? He goes, I don't care. I just want to see the monsters <laughs> do their thing. So it's natural for kids to imitate their fathers or their parents, not just their fathers, but it's natural for their kids. To, and that's how they learn. Like, like the saying, more is caught than taught, right? How many times have you, your kids, or those of you who have kids, have said or done something that you kind of wish they didn't? Right. Yeah. That's never happened, right? Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. I got some stories. I don't know if I want to share them. But ask me about it later. Um, but uh, so, yeah, more is caught than taught. And so I want to, I, I thought about this, this idea of looking at my kids, looking how I was with my dad and how we imitate, how he imitates. And I think about, well, that's my earthly father. But what about like our heavenly father? What about God? And so, again, I've said this in many sermons, and it's like, it's, it's something that I always want people to know. I always want people to get. And that is that God has chosen to have a relationship you, with you as a father and a son, or father and a daughter. Um, John, 1 John 3 says, how great is the love of the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. That's the relationship he wants. That's what he wants us to get and to understand that we are children of God. That's the relationship he wants with us. So I thought to myself, well, how is God our father, right? How, how, are, how can we look at our earthly fathers or earthly um, people that have raised us? And how is it similar? Well, uh, God is the source of life, right? Just like, just like parents are. They're the source of life. Uh, he's also, uh, he, he lovingly corrects us, right? Like parents do. Don't play with gas. <laughs> huh? He provides for our needs, like a dad, like a mom. And he gives us wisdom. Like, hey, let me tell you why you shouldn't play with gas. Um, and he always welcomes us back, all right? Now, that's maybe the part where on earth we kind of miss the mark with our own kids, but God doesn't. He always welcomes us back, and I love that. 
So, that being said, how are we to imitate God, right? It seems like it's a task that is impossible, right? That we always say that, yeah, no one is perfect, that we just need to strive and get better every day. But we'll never reach perfection this side of heaven. But when we say imitate God, it's like, oh, that seems impossible. I don't even want to try. I don't even want to start. But the thing is, if we are his children, ask ourselves, how well are we imitating him? How well have we shown the world who God is in our actions, how we are at home, work, school, on the internet? How well are we at imitating God? Now, before I go any further, I know like this is an area that I know that I have messed up. I know there have been times that I have fallen short, just like probably everyone here has, because again, we're not perfect. But it still raises the question, how do we do it? How well are we doing it? So I want to talk about four things. And the first one is this. As children, we have God's nature in us his very nature inside of us. I think back to to how my dad was. Like I said, we were a motorcycle family. That is just what we did. At a very young age, I got my first motorcycle, and he taught me how to, to ride it. And we would go to fields. We would go to the desert. That's just kind of what we did on a Saturday. We'd wake up, have breakfast, and then take off either to the mountains or, um, yeah, the desert or wherever. But we had... he. That was a thing we did together, not just us, but my uncle, my grandfather. It was like this generational thing that was just in our nature to love and to do. And it's weird. So I, I like my dad at my son's age, had a, have a busted motorcycle in my garage right now. <laughs> um, and a couple weeks ago, I cleaned it out and I, I brought it out. The goal is to fix it. And my son's like, I want to sit on it. I'm like, really? He goes, yeah. I'm like, all right, well, it's in your nature. We put you on this thing. He just sat on it and just was like, like, I didn't even know you knew what these were. But he loves it. It's in your nature. First Peter, or I'm sorry, Second Peter says this. We're going to bounce around from a lot of scripture today. It says, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and the goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promise so that through them, they may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Divine nature, divine power God has given to all of us. Do you understand that God could have, Jesus could have went to the cross, died for our sins, and we don't have to have this divine nature, divine power? He didn't have to give that to us, but he did, and we have it. It's in the, it's in creation. 
right? It's from the beginning. It's the breath that he breathed into us. It's what separates us from, from animals and any other living thing on this planet is that we have a direct breath of God into us. We have his nature. And then it comes with, yeah, it's the why we do what we do, right? Why do you do certain things a certain way? Now, I know I can sit here and I can say, yes, there's the, the sin nature that we all have, right? And then there's the godly nature. And there's arguments for both. Are we sinful first? Are we good first? We bear the image of God. What are we? Doesn't matter what, we have to remember we have his nature in us. Whatever came for, that's the argument. But we know we have to have it. We have his nature in us. It's what we do, what we do. It's the good that we produce in the world. It's the emotions that we feel when we see certain things. That's why, like, when you, you know, you feel sadness when you see a tray you lose his horse in the swamp. No? Right? Okay. All right. There's sadness you feel when you see Bambi's mother die. Oh, I'm sorry. There's sadness when you feel when you see Bing Bong dis- disappear. Right? But there's something in us, right? There's emotion, and there's happiness, and there's gladness, and there's joy. All these things that we have that are not taught to us, but we can feel them. Why? Because we have a divine nature inside of us. His nature. God's nature. So the first rule of of, of imitating God is to know that. It should be natural to us. Every good and pleasing thing you do is natural because of that divine nature he has into you. That's why it's, you, there's a lot that we can look at. There's a lot that we can look ourselves in the mirror and say, I don't like that I did this. I don't like that this happened to me or, or what. But this is why it's important that we have this positive outlook on ourselves. Not in a bragging way, but in the way because his nature's inside us and we reflect him, we imitate him. So if we're sitting in front of the mirror and labeling off everything we hate about ourselves or, or, or personalities or things that we wish, then we, we're missing the point. Find the good. Look for the good that we do. And I'm just as guilty as that. There's always things I wish, you know, were different, but force yourself to find the good because that is his nature in us. All right, second thing. As children, to imitate God, we got to follow his rules, right? Got to follow God's rules. So when I got that motorcycle, the rule was don't take it out. It stays in the garage. We'll go out on the weekends, but you can't take it out. Now, as a kid, what good is having a motorcycle if you can't show your friends? right? So it starts with me going in the garage and just revving it, sitting on it, revving it. Then it 
I'm going to just take it out and drive in the driveway. A little bit more. Just around the street. Now I'm going all over the place, right? That's a good, that's a good analogy of sin, right? Because that, that is the very, like, uh, concept of sin is that, like, it will convince you that you're going to get away with it. It will convince you that this is good. No one will ever know. And I got away with it for a very long time. I got to the point where I knew my dad was 20 to 25 minutes away from work to home. So I would call him up and be like, hey, dad, just saying, how's your day? All right, great. I know I got 20 minutes. I got 15. Let's go. And we had fields. I grew up where fields were. Everything was like a, it used to be vineyards everywhere. So I'm just going all over the place. And we, there's bike tracks in, in these fields. And it just was a blast. And of course, yeah, I'm showing, I'm showing off, right? What I didn't account was for the neighbor parents to like say, <laughs> to rat me out. Didn't follow God's rules. But when we had that conversation and I lost the motorcycle for a while, I understood why it was important, you know, why I shouldn't be doing it. And of course, he was like, well, I did that when I was your age, but, you know. But it's important to follow the rules because I, I can lose it. I can get pulled over, you know, the cops can come. I can get hurt. Of course, my friends always wanted to ride it. They're, you know, they can get hurt. There was all these genuine rule, like, reasons as to why it was important to follow that rule. And that's how it is with God. Let me read 1 John uh, 2, 3. says this. We know that we have come to him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. It's harsh, right? And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. You get that? This is how we know we are in him when we follow his rules. How many of you guys love that book, The Five Love Languages? I'm not raising my hand, but how many of you guys love that book? <laughs> it's, it's good and it's not horrible. But there should be a sixth one. It should be obedience because that's God's love language right? Obe being obedient to God is love. And think about as for parents, right? When your kids are finally listening, you think like, wow, all is right with the world. Like it worked out. No argument, no nothing, just, huh, they listened. Great. And you look at each other and you're like, huh, we did it. <laughs> Better souls in the back. Rules. The evidence of knowing God is that we keep his commandments. Commandments. This should be natural, but it's not. That's that sin part, right? It's that part that convinces us we can keep getting away with it, that we're in the clear, and that we just causes us more and more and more. But because of God's love, we have an open invitation to restoration always. Always an open invitation to restore yourself, to restore their relationship. With confession, it does come with confession, but it's open. It's always there. God 
changes our heart to care about following the rules. I know for me, like there were a lot of fringe rules when I became a Christian that has taken 20 years to kind of master. It's a work, and I get it. And no one's going to be perfect overnight. No one's going to be, you know, following exactly everything to the T. But it's a process. And it's realizing that God cares about that. And moving forward helps us to follow the rules. And then also knowing that when we do mess up, when we eventually do, as we all do, we have that open invitation for restoration. So when we follow the rules, it's the very thing that will distinguish us between knowing who Jesus is and knowing Jesus, right? So follow the rules. All right, number three, um, to imitate God. As children, we have to be in his presence. We have to be there. I can remember um, as time went on, as I got older, you know, those, those weekend uh, motorcycle trips started to get fewer and far between because I started getting involved with my friends and I wanted to do what they were doing. And I kind of lost that connection. Now, the thing is, there was a period in my time where my friends were horrible and it rubbed off on me and it changed me. And I can remember a very, a very distinct moment that my dad had with me in the room and just asked me, like, who are you? Like, this, this isn't you. This isn't how he raised you. And, of course, as a teen, you're just like, you don't know my friends. You've never taken the time to guess I know them. I look back at that now, and it, it, there's a wild story, and I'm, I'm not going to share it today, but if you ever want to hear it, basically, like, I, sh I, I thought I was going to be killed. I thought this is over for me, but my parents were 100% right when it came to those friends, 100%. And, uh, but it's just weird because you, you become who you're, you're around, yeah. right? It's natural. And so me not having those weekend things with my dad, it, it, it changed me and I lost that. And, and then I started just gravitating to, to these new guys. Change things. But that's why it's important to be in his presence. I love this verse. Hebrews uh, 12, 2 says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, fixing our eyes, right? I don't know. Do we have any runners here? Yeah, we do. <laughs> Think about that. When a runner is racing, and, and me and coaching football, whenever you, someone is in a race, the, the one rule you always say is don't turn around. Right. Don't look back. Don't see where you're at. Stay fixed in front, right? Now, what's interesting about this is that the word fixing in, in the Greek really wasn't like, it wasn't implied this is what you should look at. The implication was more of this is what you need to turn away from, okay? It's 
you, to fix your eyes on something meant you had to turn away from something else. This world is full of distractions. It is full of things that are grabbing for your attention, for your money, for your time, for your way of life, everything. And not all those things are bad. But if we stay fixed in his presence, if we stay locked, locked in to Jesus, we can filter out the good and the bad. Right? A child will always grow up watching their parents. Looking at Jesus as the ultimate service, I'm sorry, looking at Jesus as a servant because he is the ultimate servant by giving up his life, right? I kind of viewed this lesson as like the end of a trilogy. Like a couple weeks ago, I did the, the sermon on, on servanthood. Before that was at camp. It was like you got on forgiveness, this is the end to imitate God because God is the ultimate, yeah, he's the ultimate service. I'm not saying this word wrong. Servicer? No. <laughs> Servant. I don't know. It's my problem. Um, ultimate servant, right? That's what we need to watch. That's what we need to model. And we need to stay in the presence. Okay? What does that look like? It's what you're doing here today. That's great. It's reading your Bible. As much or as little, doesn't matter, but be consistent in it, right? It's, it's praying to God. It's asking the questions that you don't have an answer for. Maybe we don't have an answer for, but asking God for those questions. Being in his presence, being in fellowship, being here, that's his presence. Stay in it. All right, the last one, and this is the important one. We want to imitate our Father. Again, know that we have His nature. Know that we got to follow His rules. Know that we got to stay in His presence. And the last one is, as children, we have to know that God loves us. 100%. I can remember the first day, well, it wasn't the first day, but it was after I got married. Um, my dad was like, let's go motorcycle riding again. I'd love that. I got to just check with the wife. <laughs> right? So we go, and it's him and my uncle, and we're, we're out there, and it's like, it's like riding a, well, yeah, but it's like the muscle memory's there, and you, it's just, you're back into it, but we're riding and we're going and I just kept falling. I couldn't keep up. For some reason, they were going faster than me. I would hit things that I shouldn't be hit. I just kept falling and crashing and crashing. And then I'd, you know, he'd come back around to see if I'm okay. And, and I just felt horrible. This wasn't the experience I wanted, right? I felt bad that he had to keep coming around like, are you okay? And I remember like the last time I cra- crashed, I remember just not even picking the bike up, throwing my helmet, taking everything off, and just kind of sitting there. And be like, I just need a minute. And my dad just sat with me. I just, I felt horrible. And I, we, we, we finished the ride, we put our bikes away, we get in the car, uh, we drive home, and I remember just finally saying, Dad, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that 
I couldn't keep up. I'm sorry I kind of ruined this trip. We didn't go as far what we planned to. I'm sorry. And he just put his hand on me and said, there's nothing to be sorry for. I love you. Am I going to remember the fact that you couldn't hack it? (laughs) Or am I going to remember the fact that we were out there riding together? He said, don't ever apologize for that again. And and it also just reminded me, and I know that I'm, I'm fortunate in this, and I know that, and I know not everyone has this, and, and I agree with you in that, but I don't ever remember ever genuinely feeling the need to ask my dad or my mom, do you love me? Now, I did because I was dramatic a lot as a kid, <laughs> but deep down I knew. I knew like I didn't, I didn't need to hear that. I didn't need that because I just knew. I knew. And so, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established or um, grounded in love, may have power together with the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. Rooted and established or maybe grounded. I mean, think of a tree that is just buried deep with its roots just stretching down and holding on to dirt and wrapping its roots around the rocks, knowing that no matter what happens on the surface, No matter what calamities are going to happen, a tree that is rooted is not going to fall. Think of when when it says grounded or established of a building that that sits, that that no matter what happens in, in the natural world, earthquake or whatever, you will never see a crack. You will never see anything because the foundation on which it is grounded and established will not let that building fall. That has to be God's love. To be honest, I'm saying this as the last one, but it needs to be the first one. But for dramatic purposes, I saved it for last. Okay? It has to be love. Has to be. We can get almost everything wrong and keep moving forward, and we will be okay if we know that God loves us and that the enemy has not disrupted that or changed your view on that or has convinced you otherwise because you're rooted that nothing is going to tell me that. I, I loved the, the little the area where it talks about because you got to think, ask yourself, well, Jesus, how much, God, how much do you love me? There's, it actually tells you how much, Right? 
It, it, it says that the width, the length, the depth, the height of his love. He actually gives parameters and diameters, but he says it in such a way. And think of it, I want to break this down. So the width of his love. Think of a, of a, of a river, of a mighty river, and how much a river just covers the bottom, right? You guys follow the Lake Mead reports? You know, you hear about what they're uncovering because that water's starting to go down. Pretty horrific. I'm not going to say it, but it's horrific, right? But when you're a foundation and you know that God's love for you, that water doesn't dwindle. And it's not us that dwindles the water, the river. It covers everything. It covers all our sin, everything that we have done, everything that we felt shame about, everything that we have been hurt about. It covers but if we start to let the enemy convince us that he doesn't love us, well, then that stuff does start to show. And that water does start to disappear because we have let it. Not God. We did. But think about it. Think about a river that just covers everything. Can't see nothing but a beautiful top, beautiful scenery. The length. If you ever wondered... God, when did you start loving me? Well, how long will it go? Jeremiah 31.3 says that his love for us is with everlasting love. It's eternity. 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 Eternal love. That means that he loved us before any of us were around. Like, when I was a youth pastor, I'd get the question, why didn't God just start over? When sin entered, it's just two people, let's just wipe it clean. But you want to know what stayed God's hand in that? It was you. It was you right now in this year. Because he, he's eternal. He sees everything. And he knew that in this time, in this moment, there was going to be someone special, and that was you. Eternity, his love for you stayed his hand. He loved you. Eternity doesn't have a beginning, but you, you know he loves you now, and then we're on the other side of heaven, there's more eternity. That's the length of his love. Eternity. The depth. How far does God love us? Well, he chose to humble himself, to become human, to die on a cross, to be beaten, to be battered, to be spat upon, to be the lowliest of servants. He chose that. That's his depth. That's his depth. And he was obedient. He followed through. You can't go any lower than death on the cross. And then the height. How high does God love us? Well, Ephesians says that he lifts me to heavenly places where I am seated with Christ. He has raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places. That's how high God loves us. He puts us next to Christ who has the seat of honor. Amazing. God's love is so wide that it includes every person. It is so long that it lasts through eternity. It is so deep that it will reach the worst sinner. And his love is so high that it will take us to heaven. 
See, Paul wrote something here that, um, that I like. This is how much do we can know that it's not speculation. It shouldn't be guesswork. It's not emotions. It's feelings. It's just something that we need to know that he loves us. All right, let's have the band come on up. So, how do we imitate God? It's know that we have his nature. It's to follow his rules. It's to know we need to be in his presence and to know that he loves us. There's not a, a list, right? Well, what I'm saying is, like, to, to, to imitate God, there's not like a this, 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 and this. You just need to move into those four things. And if we know that we have his nature, if we start following his rules the best we can to get better every day, to be in his presence, and to know and to never forget that he loves us, imitating God will be natural. It will just come natural. And it will never be a thing that we beat ourselves up about because we're doing a bad idea or because we're not doing a good job. It's just going to be what we do. It's just going to be how we move forward, how we imitate the Father. This will help us to naturally be good imitators of God. I love that my son imitates me, right? My daughter, she's really good at stories. My other daughter, she loves scaring people. So do I. I love that my kids imitate me. And I adore this. I will treasure this, but at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter because what matters is that my kids see me trying to imitate God. That's what matters. Your extended family, there's a lot you can do for them, but what's going to matter is that they see you imitate God. Your coworkers, there's so much you can do for a coworker. It's great, it's awesome, but what matters is that they see you imitate God. In all aspects of life, on the internet, it matters that people see you imitate God. So the art of fatherhood, just know that he perfected it because we are his joy We are his masterpiece, and he wants to come alongside us and just to sit there and just hang out. And then by that, more is caught than taught, even with God. We thank you. As I'm about to pray, can we have the ushers come up, please? Lord, thank you for being an amazing father. Thank you for being a God that no matter what loves us, that constantly wants to bring us back to restoration, that almost gets it to the point to where he's just like, you don't need to say it, just be with me. Be here with me. 
So God, help us this week to be amazing imitators of you. I know it's not going to be perfect. I know that ultimately we will always fail at that, but that's okay because we bring you joy and we are your masterpiece, God. Thank you, God. Be with us this week. In your name, amen. Because of his great love for us, we get to share in communion. We get to do this. It's not that we have to. It's not that, that it's forced. We get to share in communion. And so let's take the bread that represents his body. And because of his love for us, because of his love, he gave up his body so that we can be healed so that we can have that divine nature and to be established in that love. So now take this body because he loves you. Because he loved you, he went to the cross. gave up his very blood which this represents so that we can have a river that covers everything in our lives that we are covered and that we are going to be seated in the heavenly praises with God so now take this because he loved you or loves you alright church I think this is going to be an exciting week everyone so go out in victory as you're walking out shake hands high five hug another child of God that imitates him all right so father bless everyone here bless everyone's week 
may go before them with wisdom and grace and love always. In your name, amen. Have a great week.